0: I I like that first song we sang, David. It went so well with the Sunday school lesson. Appreciate that. Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we'll continue our series on Bible doctrine. Uh, So far, what we've covered, um, we, we covered the existence of God a couple weeks ago. And then last week we covered more of the revelation of God uh, through the Word. How the Word of God is God's revelation of Himself. And today we're going to talk about the nature of God. And Lord, we can't cover everything, folks, in one lesson, okay? We're going to be a long time doing Bible doctrine. So, you know, I mean, we could do weeks upon weeks and weeks on the nature of God. And then we're going to do some on the nature uh, attributes of God uh we We could spend the rest of our life getting to know who God is, right so we can't you know do this in just a few weeks so uh, but anyhow this week we' we'll going to do the nature of God and then uh Lord willing get into some of the more specific attributes of God uh in the next several weeks and so I look forward to that and um, I pray that that uh, it'll just encourage us to exalt who God is and so this went really well really with a lot with what David was saying this morning in the adult class but john four verse twenty four John 4, 24, the Lord here speaking to uh, the woman at the well. And he says, A God is spirit. That's Jesus speaking, and he's telling us exactly who God is. And so God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Father, help us this morning as we come unto your word. And as we try for a little while with our little brains to try to comprehend the vastness of the Almighty, what a task. Father, help us, I pray, to at least get a glimpse of you and, and Lord, even only a glimpse is what we can catch, Lord, in these bodies. And, Lord, as you only revealed part of yourself in a form unto Moses and and he can only see a part of you, and even your, your back part couldn't even look at his face because you're such an immense and powerful and glorious God. So, Father, I pray, though, that you would help us through your Word to at least catch a glimpse a little bit more of who you are and your nature, your greatness. And, Lord, that it might cause us to exalt you in our thoughts and our hearts and, and lead the lives of obedience and lives that, that want to honor you for the God that you are. Help us to know that your word reveals to us who you are and help us to diligently seek it that we might see you. In Jesus name, amen. The nature and attributes of God is the most important subject that we could possibly ever study. There's a lot in the Bible we can study and there's a lot of things we could talk about, historical perspective and, and even some doctrinal perspectives but if we're off on who God is, we've got it, we've got it all wrong, and, and all of that is to none avail. As we've already talked about, the existence of God, a lot of people may believe in the existence of God. Some people might believe, you, you know, that there is a, a supernatural power, maybe, maybe even be monotheistic, in, the, in that they believe that there is one God. Uh, but it's not enough just to believe that God exists, and it's not enough just to uh, know that he's out there you know we need to know who he is and the only way we can know who he is is who he has proclaimed himself to be or revealed himself to be in accordance to the word of God which is what we talked about last we we believe in the existence of God and then we must believe that this is the word of God that comes from him that shows to us who he is and so if we don't want to know who God He is we don't necessarily go upon somebody's dream they had right we don't go upon visions people have had we go upon who God says Himself to be. We must be grounded in who God is. Now Again, this, this is not exhaustive, and how could we ever exhaust the subject of the eternal God? It cannot be done. But we'll do an, uh, just an overview today of the nature of God and, and some aspects of His attributes in the future. But we need a good, solid view or a framework at least of for our thinking and how we view God and how we think of God uh, in our life. Uh, Who is this one that we said no doubt exists? Who is he? Who is the one that we say we trust in? Who is the one that we are seeking to obey? What is he like? What does he like? You know, we, we can't be of the mindset that's out there today that, well, you know, God is to you, you know, whoever God is. You know, whoever you think God is, that's who God is. Listen, that's that's not who God is. God is not who you make Him to be. God is not who you think Him to be. Okay, God is who He is, and He has not changed. He has not changed. He has never changed. And we'll talk about that later. He has not changed. He cannot be fashioned and molded after the image that you would like Him to be. I heard this not too long ago. God made man in His own image. And man has tried to return the favor ever since. <laughs> man, has tried, man has tried to make God in his own image all these years. But it's not God being made in our image, but we need to be made after his image. You cannot make God be anything other than who he already is. You cannot change God. God changes you. A man seeks to change God into what, what he thinks he needs God to be or what he wants or desires God to be. God is who He is, and He is none other than that. And the only thing we know about God and who He is is who He has proclaimed Himself to be in His Word. And we must let the Scriptures be the final say in regard to who God is. It is God's revelation of Himself. So I want God to reveal Himself to me. Well, don't close your eyes and dream. Open up the Word of God and read. Read the Word of God. Let the Word of God speak to you, and God will show Himself Himself. To you is God's revelation of Himself. And if you want to believe who God is and want to know the truth of who God is, and you want to truly worship the true God in spirit and in truth, then get in the Word of God and see who He is. Now let us state this that God is Spirit. God is Spirit. In John 4 24, Jesus said, God is Spirit. That's really hard to explain, isn't it? (laughs) We know everything in the physical. The material. Uh, the definition of here of spirit is meaning that it, he is immaterial substance. God is a pure spirit, not possessing or inhabiting a body. Because of his invisibility, God in his pure essence is invisible. In speaking of Jesus Christ, Paul said in Colossians 1.15... Speaking of Jesus, he said, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? Well, we can see Jesus, but yes, but he is the image of the invisible God. Let me tell you, let me explain that to you. I can't. (laughs) It's It's just who he is. He is the image of the invisible God. The writer of Hebrews tells us of Moses and how he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Paul exalted the eternal God in 1 Timothy 1.17 and he included the nature of God in His praise and he said this, Now unto King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And when you think and consider that God is spirit, it should... Be awe-inspiring. It should make us contemplate God, meditate upon God. As we mentioned some verses this morning in Sunday school, be still and know that He is God. God is amazing. God is awesome. He is glorious. As we seek to exalt the nature of God and contemplate it this morning, we should be moved in the spirit there of Paul who said, unto Him be glory, honor forever. This, unto this immortal and invisible God, the only wise God. If we want our worship to be greater, we don't produce more emotions of the flesh, we produce more reality of who God is. That's what we need. We need to to come in and sit down and bask in the reality and knowledge and truth of who God is. We must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And as we have revealed unto us more of the presence of the knowledge of the Lord, it will inspire great worship. Upon the spirituality of God, J.P. Boyce stated this. He said, When we ascribe spirituality to God, we do not intend simply to assert that He possesses a spiritual nature, but that His nature is exclusively spiritual. By this we mean that He has not material organization, but he has neither body nor members of the body such as we have. Now there are passages, you say what well, you might be thinking well, there's passages that ascribe bodily parts to God. There's passages that ascribe body parts to God, and God made man after his own image, and hey, we have body parts, right? Well, this is only in a metaphorical sense that we see this in the scriptures. God is trying to relate something to us, to us humans, that He has created so that we can understand a little bit more about Him and in His relationship to us. Our finite minds cannot comprehend the spiritual nature of God, and so He has put it in terms of physical attributes, which we are, so that we can get a little bit of who He is. Examples of this are all throughout the Scripture. You know, the Bible talks about the eyes of the Lord are in every place. And we know what that means. It doesn't mean that there's little eyes, right? That you can see everywhere, all around us. But God is in every place, and God sees all things. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. There is nothing that God does not see at any time, at any moment, that... You cannot hide from God. There's nothing you can do to hide from the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. That's a very good verse to teach your kids. (laughs) Right? You're teaching them the nature of God. One of the best things you can teach your kid is the nature of God. Teach them that the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Listen, I, I tried to drive that into my kids when they were young. Because, you know, I, daddy couldn't be with them at all times. Mommy couldn't be with them at all times. And You know, as your parent, you're trying to protect them from this and protect them from that. And You don't want them doing this. You don't want them doing that. And so sometimes it's had to be, hey, the Lord sees you at all times. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> sometimes that's scary. Sometimes that's comforting, right? It depends on kind of where you're at or what you're going through. But the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the good and the evil. Many times the scriptures talk about God having an arm. So with the arm of the Lord is huge, it is strong. We don't, God's arm isn't like this, this huge thing that you can see. But the arm represents what? His strength. His strength to accomplish. That's, a, that's part of a man's strength is his arm. And God's relating that to us. When he says, I will redeem you, told Israel. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. A lot of times he uses his arm to tell us that, how strong he is. The Scriptures also mentions God's face to imply his, his presence or his favor or his countenance you know, towards us. uses a face because that's, that's how we relate to other people that God has created. And God is showing us something that we can see or visualize in our mind to reveal who God is. God has no eyes, God has no arm, but God sees all and God is strong. God is strong and God does not have a face you look upon. But yet David said to the Lord, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, thy face, Lord, will I seek? He's not talking about literally wanting to see God's face. He's talking about wanting to see God's favor. He wanted God to look upon him. He wanted to seek the presence of the Lord. And so God is spirit, but God uses physical representations of the body to speak to us, to relate to us, his, na- his nature or His character. Now going on to some of the characteristics of God's spirituality, and we can't be long on each of these. Like I said, we could go a long time on this. But know this this morning, and Hebrews—you can look at Hebrews twelve nine again. The passages in bold; those are the ones we'll try to turn to. Okay, um, Hebrews twelve nine. God is eminently above all spiritual beings. Now this fits right. David didn't know what this message was about this this morning, but fits right in with what he was uh, saying. But Hebrews twelve nine says, "Furthermore, we have had f- human fathers who corrected us." And we paid them respect, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to who? The Father of spirits and live. God is the Father of spirits. In other words, he is, he is the source of all spirits. He's the source of all living. And He is the Father of all, meaning He is over all. And all is in subjection unto Him as the Father of spirits. So God is eminently above all spiritual beings. All spiritual beings derive their existence from the Father of spirits. All other spiritual beings are finite, but He is infinite. They are created, but He is self-existent. They are confined to space, but God is immense. Folks, we cannot comprehend for a second how great God is. God is also an incorruptible spirit, and boy, we need to be thankful for that. But in Romans chapter 1 and verse 23, Paul says this, and changed, speaking about the wicked, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. That's what man tries to do to God. But God is incorruptible. Man corrupts God in his own mind, he corrupts God and he worships a false God, but God himself is incorruptible. Man cannot corrupt God. He can have a corrupt mind in what he thinks about God. He can have a corrupt image that he has in his mind about God. But God Himself is spirit, and God is immense. God is overall, and God is incorruptible. He is untouched, if you would, by anything vile. God is not subject to moral or natural corruption. God is an immortal spirit. <laughs> we already cited 1 Timothy 1.17, but, but look also at 1 Timothy 6. Great verses here. 1 Timothy 6. When you consider such descriptions of God, like we said at the beginning, it should move us to a greater adoration of God. We, we, listen, we, we want a greater worship service. I do. I want worship to get greater and greater but I firmly believe it gets greater and greater, truly greater and greater, when we have a truer image of who God is, and we know more of who He is, we will be moved to such worship and adoration when we see Him more clearly. 1 Timothy 6, verse 15 says this, which He will manifest in His own time, He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality dwelling in inapproachable light? <laughs> Some people need to read that when they start talking about, well, I went to God and I went to the light and wow, woo!" and then they come back and tell us all about it. Okay, I don't think so. Who alone is, is, has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see to whom be honor and everlasting power amen let me tell you our god <laughs> he is immortal he is eternal we see that he is has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light and here after paul describes god again in these short verses Again, he, he breaks into worship and into praise. And he says, To whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Nothing should move us to, to worship and to work and to service any more than a child of God than to contemplate the greatness of the God in whom we worship and whom we serve. If our worship is low and our service is low and we're all mundane and, and, and we're not worshiping the Lord like we should, we can take it or leave it or serve, take it or leave it. We need a clear glimpse of who God is. He's immortal. He's invisible. He's You cannot measure Him. You cannot contain Him. He is the Almighty. He is the I Am. He's He's the Lord whose eyes are in every place. He has a stretched out arm. You cannot measure Him with anything... that possible you cannot even imagine the greatness of the almighty when you think of god like that that changes your worship when you think of god like that that changes your service that changes what you do in life so we see how important it is for us to teach on the subject of the nature of god it should ignite our soul to worship and is a great motivator in our service. What is the next thing Paul talks about after this description? After he describes God in this manner and just worships God, okay? the next thing in First Timothy 6, verse 17, the very next thing he says, he says, command those who are rich in his present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. I mean, so so upon describing the greatness of the Almighty there in those verses and breaking out into worship, He says, command people to be giving, basically. Listen, when we have a high view of God, it changes everything about us. It makes us It makes us much more generous. When we see, when we see the condemnation, uh, Sation or condensation, <laughs> that's <the> wrong word. <laughs> Con- conde- well, I've got that's a wrong word too. You know what? When we see how much God has condescended, there's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> God did not condensate. I guess it's kind of, anyhow. How much God has condescended. And see, that's the problem is we, we see Jesus. I'm afraid that we see him, we imagine him, you know, he's like us. He has hands, he has feet, he has eyes, da da da. And we, we're not, we're not condescending, we're, we're not seeing the, how much God has condescended to do that. Because when we truly grasp that, Emmanuel, God with us in the person of Jesus Christ. That should move us to worship and service and adoration and be a giving people, a generous people. God gave His Son. Imagine that. It should eliminate all high mindedness of ourselves. Who are we and, and what is man that God Himself would be mindful of us? The Lord is immortal. It distinguishes him from all other beings who derive their immortality from God. You cannot kill God, He cannot die, and all life comes from Him. It's amazing, I think, that Satan has so deceived himself into thinking that somehow in the end he's going to win with what he has seen. God is also an invincible spirit, meaning that He cannot be hurt or overwhelmed. By anyone or anything, God cannot be conquered, God cannot be subdued, God cannot be overcome. The wicked may seek to fight against God, and and we might think, boy, look how much the wicked is accomplishing. Listen, they may be, but know this, that God at the moment isn't up there saying, oh no, I can't stop them. I believe He gives the devil and, and the wicked a long leash, but be certain that He's in control. How can man, who God created as mortal, overcome God? He cannot. God is is a spirit. He is living. He is active. He is understanding. He has will. He has affections and personality. He is a source of all spiritual activity. The spiritual nature of God is essential to His deity and His attributes that we'll look at in future messages. There's the immensity of God that we mentioned implies spirituality itself. Immensity is unlimited unlimited extension, an extent not to be measured, infinity. I mean, the Bible says the heaven of heavens cannot contain Him. Listen, man, no matter how powerful of, of a telescope he gets, all he sees is that there's more to see that he hasn't seen. The heaven of heavens cannot contain God. You can't do it. In Psalm 139, I love this passage. That's very comforting for a child of God, at least it should be. In Psalm 139, the psalmist here says this, starting in verse 7. He says, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You know, the psalmist knew he could not escape God no matter what. I said we'll consider some attributes when we look at them later. Um, but the thought here is simply that because the scriptures teach God is, is omnipresent, meaning He's everywhere present, It implies itself that He is spirit. God isn't physically everywhere, but His spirit is everywhere. You cannot contain God. You can't put Him in a box. Some people try to, but you can't. His eternity implies spirituality. Matter is limited to time periods. Matter is limited to time periods, but God is eternal. The Bible speaks about this quite often. He's without beginning or ending. I mean, I believe in creation 100%. It's six-day little creation. That's what the Bible teaches. And my mind can go back to that, and and I believe that with all of my heart and that God created. But then you try to go back a little bit further. (laughs) And you think, well, what about God? And you've asked yourself that question, well, who made God? Nobody made God. If anybody made God, they're God. (laughs) Right? God always has been. God always was. Doesn't just blow your mind to think about this? I mean, don't you ever just sit still and contemplate the vastness, the eternal nature, the spiritual nature of God, that God always was? That, that To try to display this unto mankind, and He has to just say, I am. I am. He's a self-existent one, the eternal one. When I think about the greatness of the Almighty, I think, who is man that He would seek to go against Him? Who is man that would seek to, to go against the commandments of the I Am? How foolish we would be to see, thus saith the Lord of one so Almighty, and say, no, not me. Eternal. <laughs> oh. The independence of God implies spirituality. I I love this. Um, we, We like to talk about, oh, we're independent. Let me tell you what, there's not a one of us completely independent. Not a one of us. We are all very dependent upon God. But He is dependent upon none. God didn't create us so that He could feel fulfilled. God didn't make us because He needed us. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 33, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. You think you're going to figure this out. It's not going to happen. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become His counselor? Or who has first given to Him and it shall be repaid to Him? In other words, what have you possibly given to God where God would feel like He's obligated to give to you? Who are you, O vain man, that think you've done so much for God that God somehow thinks, oh, I need to do for Him? What have you possibly received that hasn't first been given to you of God? He says, for of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Matter is dependent on something to cause it to function. God is not dependent upon us. He uses us for His glory, but He's not dependent upon us. He says, if I want to, I'll call call a bird to accomplish my will. If I want to, I'll call a man from the east to do what I want him to do. I'm not dependent upon anybody. He lets us do things for Him. (laughs) He allows us that privilege and that honor. And sometimes He does just flat out command us, and there's no saying no. He does that too, right? Right? But it's a privilege and honor. God isn't trying anything. He's very He's completely independent. For all things are dependent upon God, from the largest stars that we cannot see, because it's so far away to the smallest atom that we cannot see without a microscope. All of that is dependent upon God. He holds it all together. By Him, the Bible says, all things consist. All things are held together by the Word of His power. God needs none, but all need Him. When you consider God like this, it makes you just realize the haughtiness of mankind. God's complete immutability, which we'll cover more later in the future message, implies spirituality. Matter may be divided, matter may be added to or diminished, matter may change, but God is unchangeable. Don't let anybody fool you to think, well, God somehow changed between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God did not change. In Malachi 3, 6, God declares, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Woo, aren't you glad he doesn't change? I mean, if he did change, he might change his mind about us being consumed. <laughs> for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. God cannot be changed. And, that's, and we cannot understand that, okay? And somehow yet well, there are scriptures that, that talk about us praying and God relented. or It almost sounds like God changed his mind. But that's for our finite understanding. We don't grasp it. We don't get it. God Himself does not change. God cannot be changed. But God changes us. James declared God to be the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, no change, neither shadow of turning. I'm glad that God does not change. So, so far this morning, I hope you see in just this little bit of a brief encounter with, with thinking upon God as a spirit and what all that implies, that our hearts should be in all of Him this morning. And we should be still and know that He is God and that He shall be glorified in the earth. We should be in all of God. We should be in fear of God. We should adore God. We should worship God. We should praise God. We should serve God. For the Lord our God is spirit. He is immense. He is eternal. He is independent. He is immortal. He is incorruptible. He is above all, so none shall ever outrank him. He is incorruptible, so he shall never fall to moral or natural decay. God is immortal so none shall ever kill him. He is invincible, so none shall ever overcome him or dethrone him. He is immense, for you cannot measure him by distance. He is eternal, you cannot measure him by time. He is independent, for he needs none, and he is immutable, and shall never change any of who he is. That's our God. And much more than we could ever imagine. <laughs> now just in human words, and trying to relay a little bit, in. So that we can get a little bit of a grasp of God and those words, it should move us greatly. I want to be a motivator to serve the Lord, but I want that motivation to come from a reality of who He is. And we do it for His glory and for His honor. And we want to state this for just a few minutes here God is Spirit, but also God is one. God isn't spirits, okay, but yet the Bible implies certain things that we'll get to later. Um, But for now, God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, one Lord. As we think about the nature of God, God is spirit, and also at the same time, God is one. Meaning that in His essence, God is undivided. God in His essence is indivisible. This is tough. <laughs> this is not only affirming that God is one, but also that there is only but one God. I think we get that. Here, O Israel, Lord, our God is one Lord. There's only one Lord. And so, therefore, we uh, are not polytheistic. Polytheism is the doctrine of a plurality of gods. Um, a lot of religions out there that teach that. Or uh, we don't believe in plurality of gods or invisible beings superior to man in the sense of uh, that, that there's multiple gods out there but there is one god and i think there's little g gods in a the sense there's there's the devil he's the god of this world the bible calls him that and he's got his little gods and demons and stuff but there's only one true and living god that is creator of all of whom we've sought to describe this morning we are monotheistic it is the, the doctrine or belief of the existence of one God only. In other words, He is the Father of all gods. Little g, He is the only true and living God. Our God has not divided Himself up into many gods. The, the, understanding a little bit of this it really does help. Now say, now your, your mind immediately is going to go, Well, I thought we believed in something called the Trinity, right? And we'll get... To that later, okay? Uh, But very quickly, uh, as we'll cover that at a later time, the Trinity is not teaching three gods. That's what Christians are falsely accused of by some Jehovah Witnesses. Well, you believe in three gods. No, we don't. We believe in one God. The Trinity is not inconsistent with God's unity. The Trinity consists of three eternal distinctions in the same being. And in the same pure essence. Which distinctions are presented to us under the figure of persons. But still the Lord our God is one God. We'll get to all that later. But I know you'd have to be thinking about that. Now understanding the true nature of God is going to be very important. It's important in so many ways. We need to know this one whom we say we believe in and who exists, and the one in whom we trust, and understanding the vastness of the Almighty as we sought to briefly describe Him, and understanding that your faith is in Him, it changes you. It changes who you are. He's unchangeable, but when you see Him as He is, it changes you. It increases your faith. It changes you are. It changes your decisions. It, it, It takes you from being cowardice to being bold. When you want to talk about God, we, we need some more courage today in our culture, in our society that is so immoral and ungodly. Boy, if we only had a bigger God to trust in, if we only had a greater God to rely upon, if we only had an, invisible, an, an invincible God, if we only had an almighty God, right? We do. We do. He is all of that and much more. And why would we cower before anything, anyone that is made from the Almighty in whom we trust? It's amazing that we would cower at all. I love what A.W. Tozer said. One of the reasons, I've used this quote many times over the years, but it's so important that we understand the trueness of who God is. He said this, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Listen, here at this church, as a people of God, if we want to move in a right direction, a true direction, we need a true image, a right image of who God is. I guarantee you, you can look at people that are false in certain teachings you will find out that they have an off view of who God is somewhere. I remember one time I was at a workplace doing electrical work, and, and this guy had this hat on, and, and it said, Jesus Christ is Lord. I like, oh, right, a Christian. And uh, or maybe it said Jesus Christ is just, Lord. I, just, I, I think it had John 3, 16 on it. So I thought, oh, Christian. And I was around this guy quite a while that day, and, um, he, and every time I'd be around him, man, he was cussing a lot. Listen, for one, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't use foul language, period. But he wasn't just cursing. He was using God's name in vain at the same time. I'm like, with a John three sixteen hat, or some kind of Christian hat. It was obviously Christian. I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was John three sixteen. But anyhow, it doesn't matter. He had this hat on. supposed to identify him as a follower of Jesus. And he's using God's name in vain. He, I mean, he's using all kinds of foul language. I'm like, Man, it's just like, I, I didn't understand the guy. How can you do this? Oh, I got to talk to this. We were actually leaving the site, and he was still on the site. And I told my cousin, I said, stop the van. I got to go talk to that guy. I just got to. get yeah, I start talking to him. And uh, found out he went to some certain church and stuff. Never had heard of it before. But, and just kept talking to him about things. Kept talking to him about things. And, and I'm just trying to reason with him. And I, and I talked to him about hearing him cuss and all of this. And I said, I don't understand that. I kept trying. I talked to this guy for a long time, a long time. We were running in circles talking about different issues and all of this and, and finally it just like came to me I said, "Let's just stop all this." I said, "Who do you believe Jesus is?" Who do you believe Jesus is? He said, "He was a good man." He was a prophet. He got so off on so many things. We were running in circles with so many false teachings. I'm like, what's the root problem here? Folks, we must be grounded and rooted in the nature of who God is, in the person of Godhood, who He is, who His Son is, because it affects everything else we believe. If we don't know Him, we won't know anything that's right. We won't know it. Understanding the true nature of God is, is vital to all of our Christian life and understanding. Our direction will become more defined and right the more we know and understanding the God of the Bible. May everything we believe, practice, ministries we involve ourselves in be guided by a clear and unadulterated view of the nature of who God is. And may I faithfully before God exalt Him here in this place so that we might know Him more fully. And then lastly and closing, consider this we've already referenced to, this God that is immense, this God that cannot be measured, this God is great and incorruptible and unchangeable, the God who's the father of spirits, the God in whom is no variableness, the God who can measure all of the vastness of heaven with the span of his hand, the God who can hold all the measures of the water in his hand. The God who cannot be seen completely. He is spirit. The God who cannot be contained in no way. The God who cannot be imagined in His greatness. This God came and robed Himself in flesh to save us. To save me. That grade of a God did that. That's amazing. That truly is Amazing grace that God would condescend to such low places to redeem a fallen human race of mankind that has lifted his fists up unto God and has told, has told God that He would not have Him to reign over Him. But yet he came, roped himself in flesh. But be certain of this... He did not lose one ounce of deity in doing so, or one ounce of who He is in doing so. But what a message. God became man, yet remained God that we have described this morning. Amazing grace. Listen, as we've described Him today, and cannot, I don't know what else to say this morning, we're almost done here, but what, the gospel message has for us in all of this. And that God would do this. And that Jesus Christ did this for us. But this same God, some of you right now, this awesome, almighty, terrible God, some of you yet to bow before Him. Yet, bow before this almighty God. Repent of your sins. And believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. The God we've sought to describe. This, this frail man has tried to describe And Let me tell you what. He's much more than I could ever voice in words. That's the God you answer to. If you die in your sins. You need to repent of your sins. And believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. At once. Immediately. Father in heaven. I pray that you would use this message. Lord to draw many unto you lost souls that have yet to repent of their sins. And Lord, as great as a God you are, yet you still say in your word, Him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Oh, may some come to Christ even this morning, knowing that He is the way, the truth, and the life, but knowing that they can only come to you through Him. And Father, may some come to Christ this morning, and may we as your people as well, go forth from this place for a greater sense of urgency to proclaim the message of who you are and what you've done through, your, per- through this, your son, Jesus Christ. And may we faithfully proclaim your word, Lord, of this lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, please, as we sing.